0: DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. we got a big dose of college football coming up for you right now. If you love college football, stick around for the next hour and a half because we're going to be hitting it hard here. Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs football coach, is going to join us coming up at 9.05. Tech is a 23.5-point underdog against BYU. The game's Friday night, 7 o'clock. And... You know, there are a lot of things to analyze. I think a clear and obvious strength of this Cougar football team is the offensive line. And I know that's not sexy and that's not exciting and that's not really what you want to spend a lot of time talking about on Sports Talk Radio because offensive line doesn't really motivate a lot of people besides Hans Olsen. But when your offensive line is that good and you can push one team up and down the field and then pass protect while your quarterback throws for almost 400 yards in the next game, he got a pretty serious advantage here. And there is one problem for uh, Louisiana Tech that I think the offensive line is going to complement quite well. And I think that that is the reason that BYU is a 23.5-point uh, favorite in this game. So we'll talk with Skip Holtz about that. He'll kind of lay it out. He knows where he's got a problem on his team, and he knows why he's got a problem, and he'll spell that out for you coming up at 9.05. DJ and PK, it is time to welcome in David Nixon, former BYU linebacker. He joins us on the T-Mobile special guest line. T-Mobile and Sprint are coming together to build the best wireless company around. Visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. David, good morning. TJ, hey What's going on? Well, we're here to talk about a game where BYU is favored to squash somebody for the third straight game. And I'm wondering, as a former Cougar, do you really enjoy that or is it you don't want to say it out loud, but it kinda of bores you?
1: Uh, you know what, a little bit of both. I think I err on the side that I really enjoy it. I mean, listen, this fan base has been through the up and downs of losses to uh, UMass and Northern Illinois and last year Toledo, at USF and so if anything I think this fan base loves the fact that Billy is going out there taking care of business, uh, against teams that they should you know, they should go out there and single Hamley win. And they're doing just that. So uh, I, uh, I, I think I err more on the side of I enjoy this. But I will tell you this. With the schedule of the you has, if it continues to happen, it's going to get a little boring throughout the season if they continue to roll the way they're rolling. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, it's been, it's been fun to watch.
0: So I wondered about Louisiana Tech, uh, but they played a couple games here. They've given up a lot of points. They've given up 34 points a game. That's just through two games. And one of the games, they gave up a lot of points to Houston Baptist, but they were scoring 66 points. I don't know how much intensity. When you were out there in a game and the offense was just scoring at well, did the defense ever lose its edge? Not you personally. You would never do that, David. But did some never. of the other guys lose their edge?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, actually. In fact, I think it does the exact opposite. I, I think uh, as a unit, you, if you're watching your offense just march up and down the field, put points up, and energizes you as a whole of the unit, uh, and it makes you want to go out there and get the ball back in their hands as fast as possible. In fact, I remember that uh, happening my senior year when we played UCLA. I think we'd be no. like 50, <laughs> Yeah. 50, was it 59 to nothing? Or f- <laughs> I think we maybe let a touchdown late in the game. I can't remember what it was, but it was something crazy. And... It was one of those things where, like I said, we, we continue to feed off each other. And um, it's, it's a really, it's hard to explain, but it's a really cool feeling whenever all sides of the team are, are clicking. Because, once again, during the week in practice, the defense and offense, you know, you've got your scout teams going. so You really aren't practicing much together. Yeah, you'll do some one-on-ones um, and maybe do some 11-on-11 late, late in practice. But for the majority of practice, defense is on one side of the field and the offense is on the other side doing their own thing. Uh, and so game days, when game days roll around, is kind of one of your first opportunities to be together as a whole team and uh, and to have the same objective and goal, and that's to go out there and whoop that team across from you on the sideline. And and so I think you you feed off each other and you start to build that momentum, and, and you, you can, you can kind of see what the result is. But um, now, I, and this I will say this: I was in a, I, I was at the stadium, and it was. It was a weird feeling being there, um, but I will say the BYU did a great job of kind of creating their own energy on the sideline, creating their own, their own buzz. And uh, you could hear all the guys, the BYU guys yelling and hooting and hollering. And, of course, you saw the dancing they did on the sidelines and all that stuff. But, um, you know, that's, that's something this year that with COVID, they've they got to go out there and, and pump each other up. So while the defense is out there balling out, the offense hopefully is on the sideline uh, cheering them on and vice versa and, and creating that kind of crowd noise, if you will.
0: David Nixon, former BYU linebacker, joining us here. So I'm curious as you watch the BYU offensive line uh, push people around at Navy and make the game really easy to win. And then pass protect for a quarterback is thrown for almost 400 yards. So they're showing, you know, hey, they can they can dominate in different ways. As a former linebacker, when you're facing an offensive line that's at, got that kind of advantage, what do you expect your defense to do? What could you throw at an offensive line that have that kind of advantage to get your team back in the game because when you're getting dominated like that by an offensive line, you're usually in trouble.
1: Yeah, listen, it's, if you're opposing defense right now, it's one of those things where you've got to pick your poison. I mean, the problem is if you stack seven, eight in the box, uh, then Zach's shown right now the ability to do the play action, and, and he's uh, you know very decisive and, and really accurate right now. So um, if you're opposing defense, it's, it's tough. You, you've got to figure out a way to disguise some things, I think Zach is still working on that. I think if you can bring uh, safeties and backers and, and switch it up a little bit, uh, then, then you maybe can try to create some of that confusion. But if you just try to line up against BYU's offensive line right now, I mean, this, this offense is averaging five yards per carry right now through two games. I mean, it's just and, – and when you go back and watch the film, it's purely that offensive line the Serbs are getting. I mean, no, no doubt and Cato have been playing well. Um, but these guys have huge holes to run in. I mean you, you watch that offensive line just wash down that defensive line and of course the running back can has a cutback on the backside and uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty impressive to see. I mean, I don't think we've had an offensive line like this in, in, in decades. I mean it's it's something that as a collective unit, you have you always have one off guy that has been pretty solid but as a unit this offensive line's been pretty impressive so far. And once again, keep in mind who it's against is against Navy and and uh, Troy, but um, I, I what I like about this team, and people keep saying, that, "Yeah, it's Navy and Troy." But I love about this BYU team is what I alluded to at the beginning of this, uh, this segment was, you know, in the past BYU would kind of play down to their opponents and play up to their opponents. I mean, look at USC last year. You looked at Wisconsin years past. They, they'll play up to their opponents, but also play down, and, and that's not happening this year. This year, they're going out there and, and taking care of business and winning decisively. So, um, I think that's what got all has all fans encouraged is, is the fact that you don't have a you know 24 to 17 type game this year these are blowouts and they and they're doing it on all sides of the ball
0: so uh, you played obviously in the NFL for a while how much more elaborate do defenses get there how much more complicated i mean are you are you hitting quarterbacks with zone blitzes that they never see in college you know is it if not louisiana tech is there some team out there that would do something like that
1: yeah, I will say the NFL, the defenses were much more complex. Uh, and Mostly it was because you're facing offenses that are more complex. And so anytime there's a shift or a movement, there's a completely different check on every single one of those. Uh, and, and so, I mean, listen, it's your job, right? So you, you better be in the field room and, and in your playbook understanding what your defense is doing. So uh, that's understandable. But uh, if, you're, if you're Louisiana Tech, I will say it's not Louisiana Tech, having watched uh, some of the film on them from their last few games. Uh, this is a team that's pretty similar to Troy in the sense they like to spread it out and air it out. But I will say the personnel, uh, and the players themselves are, are much more skilled than Troy was. Uh, and so I, I think this Louisiana Tech team is not going to be as easy and as much of a, a steamroll as we saw with, with Troy last week. Um, but at the same time, it's a team that gave up, uh, they get over 400 yards to, to Houston Baptist and, uh, they have some vulnerabilities on their side of the ball as well. So, um, I think BYU continues their route and what they've been doing but this isn't going to be as much of a, a cakewalk this week so uh, we'll kind of see how it all plays out
0: ah Vegas disagrees with you 23 and a half points suggests cakewalk
1: yeah especially I think Troy's was like 14 or something I, yeah 14 I 15 th- yeah yeah I think I think uh, I mean personally I think Vegas is jumping on the bandwagon of just seeing what BYU's doing the first two weeks uh, but I think this I honestly do think this Louisiana Tech team is more skilled and more talented than the first two opponents. Joe faced, and I think honestly, I think the schedule will start to trend that way as you, as you start to peak towards um, Houston, and then uh, of course we'll see what happens with Boise State and potentially getting Army back on the schedule and things like that. I think that I think the uh, the skill level should should continue to increase, but um, you know, in the meantime, like I said, it's it's been fun to watch. I mean, it's it's uh, one of those things where the OE fans also in the month of September kind of used to thinking their lumps, right? This is typically the month where BYU faces all the P5s, and you're hoping to go two and two against a schedule that uh, they typically have. And, and here they are sitting two and zero, and looking to go three and zero this week. I think it's a you know a, a pretty pretty uh, a solid chance that happens, but um, it's it's a different feeling because in, in Independence usually that's where you take your lumps is in September, and then try to rally on the back end. Where it's kind of the opposite this year, given the given the whole reschedule.
0: You know, I, I am really curious. Houston has obviously had both good teams and bad teams over the last five or six years. They, you know And they had a coaching change and all that. And so I don't know how good they are this year. But it's so weird. Every week I want to see their game, and then every week their game is canceled. They've had five games canceled in four weeks. So when you're looking for a difficult BYU opponent, somebody who's got a little name, a rep – Obviously, getting Boise State on the schedule, I think it'll happen. I can't guarantee it, but I, I think it's likely. And, and Houston's another chance, but I had literally have no idea because I haven't seen Houston play because they haven't been able to play a game yet, which is the weirdest thing.
1: Yeah, I, that's, I think we're all in the same boat. I mean, seriously, Houston, uh, you know, Houston's one of those schools, like, a, like an SMU, where they pick up a lot of scraps in Texas of the talent that doesn't get picked up by A&M or UT or TCU. Our Texas Tech, and they kind of they kind of fall to to a team like Houston. So they usually, can put together and fill together a pretty solid team, given you know Herman went to Texas, and they, like you said, they've had a coaching changes and things like that. But um, you know, it's, it's a name that's that's traditionally been a pretty solid team. They're not a you know, cupcake like some of these other teams BYU has on their schedule. So I think all the fans are hoping that when they finally do get to play, if that ever happens to this guy, these guys. By the way, I, I can't imagine being a Houston player and each week preparing to go out there and play. And, and next thing you know, halfway into the week or being a the week, they announced that it's canceled because the other team isn't being responsible. And I think Houston, maybe it's their fault one or two of those weeks as well. But I, it's just a, it's a crazy deal. Emotionally, it's gotta be a, just a massive roller coaster uh, because once again, these guys, you only in football, you only have 12 to 13 games. I mean, it's not like basketball where you're doing, you know, 30 plus uh, and other sports baseball where, where you're playing a lot. Uh, football, you only have these 13, 12, 13 opportunities that you pre- prepare for all year and all off season, and, and you go through fall camp. I mean, so much work goes into this. And to have, you know, now three, four, I mean, I think, I think it's up to four now has have been canceled. It's just, man, its uh, I, I honestly can't imagine. But uh, the hope is they get out and, and get to play. And, then, of course, now BYU fans, it's funny, BYU fans now are, are watching all these other schools that they, they have played and they will play. It, and they're all rooting hard for it because, yeah, we get it that, they're not going to probably be ranked, but if they can go in there and show that they beat a 3-0, a 4-0 UTSA team or Texas State or Western Kentucky, uh, you know, I, I think that fares well for BYU now that they're ranked and, and trying to climb up in those rankings and, and kind of bolster their, their R- RPI, if you will.
0: Yeah, well, Houston's not scheduled to play this week. They'll, uh, their opener will be October 8th against Tulane, and then they'll have BYU. So that's, that's where that one sits. Uh, I'm curious as you watch this um, if they're – if BYU is going to get beat, how would a team attack the Cougars? I don't know if it's a weak spot or the weakest spot, and obviously a little bit of this will go to who the, where the opponent's strength is. But as you watch the Cougars, is there something you have be able to see where you think this is where a team will go at the Y?
1: I think defensively, if you're facing BYU as a defense, I think you have to plan on manning up on the outside with, with these receivers uh, and, and just loading the box. And, and you've got to force BYU into throwing the ball. And, of course, you've got to force Zach into to making bad decisions. And a lot of that becomes with baiting. Uh, so you get into zone-type defense as well. Uh, and, and you kind of lack back, but then be ready to jump on routes. Uh, but you've got to stop the run against this offense. Because the thing is, when you go back and watch the film of BYU's offense, do a fantastic job of play action. And then Zach has all day in the pocket. The backers suck up, and he's done a great job of hitting those deep digs across the middle. Um, and then, of course, you know, he has all day back there, so a lot of the go-routes were there. There was a slam go uh, to, uh, I want to say, to Dax Milne uh, on Saturday that he hit uh, for, for a touchdown. So those are some things, I think, defensively. Offensively, you're facing BYU uh, You've got to start with, with blocking Kyrus Tug up front. I mean, uh, Troy struggled doing that, and, and he, it resulted in two sacks with, with Kyrus. Uh, and then, of course, the rest of the team. You had Batty had a sack, and Jack Dahl had a sack. How about BYU having nine sacks in the first two games? And, you, and that's especially going against the Navy team that didn't even like to throw the ball uh, that BYU came up with five sacks. So pretty impressive from a unit that really struggled last year. I got a lot of grief for the whole drop eight concept is finally getting some pressure it's been fun to watch there but uh, I think you got to stop Kyra's tongue and then you know BYU's strength right now is this linebacker unit I think everyone came into the season looking at the deep the secondary realizing uh, BYU had a lot of a lot of depth there a lot of veteran guys coming back off injuries with Troy Warner, Zane Anderson, Chris Wilcox those those guys Uh, but this linebacker unit has really uh, shown up and, and I mean they're ultimate playmakers so the front seven for me is something you got to—you'd have to scheme and try to attack. But, I mean, obviously, you know, the coaches on the other side of the ball are getting paid to do that, and they still haven't found a way to make it happen to the first two games. So, uh, it's not an easy task to do. But, but uh, if, if I were a coach, that's probably what I would go after. Um, but it's like I said, it's fun to watch this eight team be a, a complete unit. I think in years past, you'd have the defense be playing really well, and the offense would struggle, and vice versa. Uh, and shoot, even special teams. You, you, know, you look at Jake Oldroy with that 54-yard field goal at the end of the first half. I, mean, I can't remember the last time I saw a 50-plus yarder made by a BYU kicker. I, mean, so it's, I know you, all you fans, that's something standard for them with all the great kickers they've had. But uh, for BYU, it's, it's been something that's, that's been lacking in, in the years past. So nice to see a weapon there as well. So really rolling in all three phases.
0: So I, suspect, I expect we kind of have some BYU fans who are just, uh, you know, coming back to consciousness because you probably knocked them out early in the interview. Uh, you came hard with the whole winning the games they're supposed to win. And then you put salt in the wound by literally listing the humiliating losses. Northern Illinois, UMass, Toledo. I got to admit, I was a little stunned. You know, I was like, I was "Like the boxer needs a standing aid." I wasn't down, but the ref knew I was in trouble.
1: <laughs> listen, listen, you you got to keep the fan base. You got you got to remember. You got to keep them humble with, with with what the history shows. Uh, but that's what's great. his team is promising,
0: right? I, right. But I I realize... saw, I'm curious why, because we know they were supposed to win those games. They were supposed to beat UMass, not lose that game. Now, last year, they did to UMass what I think everyone wanted them to do, right? McChesney ran for 5 billion yards, and they won the game. Why is this team taking care of business? What corner has been turned? Why this when we got this history where it wasn't happening, and now they're taking care of business?
1: I think, I think it's a pretty simple answer. I think it all comes down to experience and leadership. I mean, keep in mind, during those losses, you had a freshman quarterback, Zach Wilson, who's just learning the offense. You had a freshman gunner Romney out there on the outside. You had freshman uh, line. I mean, you look at Brady Christensen starting for three years now. I mean, you look across the board. BYU was very, very young when they were taking those lumps just a few years ago. A lot of guys, because of injuries or whatever it may have been, uh, were forced into starting roles as really young underclassmen. Uh, and, and Kalani's bitching this, that they kind of look forward to this year, this year and next year really, as the year that they've, you know, finally the rebuild is coming around. And, and frankly, I think that's why Tom Homo went out there and extended Kalani, because he realized that Kalani's been trying to build something up. They, they really felt like the cover was pretty bare after Bronco left, uh, and, and they felt like they had to go out there and get their own recruits, uh, who then, of course, come and then go on missions. And so it really takes four or five years for these guys to cycle through and be ready to, to be major contributors. And, and that's where we sit right now, that a lot of these guys who were thrust into starting roles young and early um, are finally now upperclassmen. Uh, they got that game experience and, and now they're, you know, now it's results on the field with the way they're playing. And so uh, it was just a really young team. And of course, I, I hate that excuse as, as a former player. I hate when coaches say, hey, it's just a really young team. We're, we're trying to learn. But it's the truth. If you don't have senior leadership and you don't have that type of experience, you've got a whole bunch of freshmen playing, you're not going to be a great team. It's just how it is. Uh, and that's how B- what BYU facing just a couple of years ago. When they lost to all those teams, we've already, already rattled off. So, um, I you know, it's a bummer that, that this team, uh, a team that you know, really Klein's been working on, like I said, for, since he's really been here, uh, has this type of schedule because I think it would have been a special season. And it still, it still could be a special season, of course. Uh, and, but I think it, you know, it would have been fun to see what they could do to showcase their talents against uh, better, better teams. But uh, it is what it is. And, and once again, they're, they're taking care of business against teams they should. They should. And, and then winning uh, decisively and, and, and putting up a lot of points. And I think, obviously, the, the, the whole country's taking notice with the ranking they've got. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's, I think the reason we can't talk about the past at this point is because we see what the future holds. And you see a, you see an offensive line unit that's got a lot of depth and a lot of guys that are, that played and will contribute. Uh, you see Zach Wilson's a junior, um, and, and um, you know, he's got now a couple more years. You've got Tyler Ojeri, Katoa, Gunnarami. I mean, there's just a lot of talent there that they're starting to build and now building a depth. And I'll say this, kind of last thing about this, the great thing about this – BYU team is now you've got a lot of upperclassmen that are playing and it now allows the freshmen and sophomores to really start to grow into the system they don't have to be thrust into starting as a freshman and sophomore but they can sit there and learn behind these veteran guys and then when their numbers call when they're a junior and senior uh, now they're ready and prepared and they've, they've had enough looks and practice et cetera, to be able to come in and play and you won't have those growing pains like you had at the beginning uh, that Kalani had at the beginning when he when he first came in.
0: You know, uh, people ask me, do you like doing radio more or do you like doing TV more? You know, I get I get that all the time. And, and the answer is there's cool things about both that I enjoy and both uh, lack something that I get out of the other one, right? So it's a good fit. And one of the things about radio is you don't see people's body language. Sometimes you catch the tone of the voice, but it's easier when you have the video and you have the body language as well. And I think people... Say a lot in nonverbal communication. You get a lot from more than just the words. So, with Kalani, I've seen a couple of media availabilities that have really shown different sides of his personality. One that we see all the time, one that we don't see a lot, but you know it's there because if it weren't, he couldn't have worked for Kyle Winningham for a long time and had a great relationship with him. That's business, down to the facts, no BS. It's like this, Kalani. And a lot of time he comes out, like he did after the last game, and I'm curious what you think of this. When the Army game was canceled, that was, no BS, it's like this Kalani. And we don't see that a lot, but he was really to the point. He was on point. He was answering difficult questions, and it was like this. This is how it is. And I love seeing that Kalani. The Kalani we see a lot is the post-game Kalani, hey, the guys are playing hard, they're playing for each other, you know, they really love each other. And I know he says that for multiple reasons, and I know there's some truth to it, and it matters in a team and in a group that you have that vibe. And I think it really pays off in recruiting. And so I know why he says that. I'm curious if you think he overplays that or if you think it's really important and you're glad he kind of has that post-game session that he had after the Troy win? Because honestly, I like that press conference. I didn't like the Army cancellation, but I really appreciated the way he addressed that head-on. I'm not as much into the fluffy Kalani post-game, but I know there's a reason for it, and I'm wondering how you feel about it.
1: Yeah, listen, I, I think the players... Are playing the way right now as well because of Kalani. Uh, I think I think he's very straightforward. I think he's honest with them, um, and, and as a result, I think they rally around him. and And I remember him saying, I think I mentioned here on the show last week as well. Uh, the players asked him this year. They're like, "Hey, we want you to be more animated on the sideline. We want to see more dancing and things like that." And he mentioned that in one of our interviews with B O E T D and, and sure enough, that's what you get from him. You see him dancing all up and down the field. Uh, in fact, we were breaking down some film yesterday on our show after for the review. And there was a play where Isaiah Kafusi almost had an interception. If you recall, it tipped off the receiver and went right into his hands, and he dropped it. Uh, and the Kalani was on the sidelines just going crazy. I've never seen a coach, honestly. I mean, he's done a lot of dancing and a lot of crazy stuff, uh, but he was just going nuts that, that he didn't get the interception. And it's stuff like that that I think, in the honesty, you alluded to. It's stuff like that that makes these players rally around him. And I think that's why that uh, we also did a segment on the same show that we asked the players – why BYU? Why did you come to BYU? And half the responses were family, right? I've got family tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wanted that sense of family. But a lot, But the other majority of them said Kalani. And it was a pretty simple answer. They All they said it was Kalani. Uh, and that's something that he's building with, with this program, with his team. We knew that coming into it that he's a very, very personal guy. Um, and, and that was the hope that that would kind of shine through in his recruiting efforts. And I think it is. And, and you see that from the players. And I think that message is getting out. I think, like you said, I think these recruits see that, that he's a very just straightforward, honest guy. And that's all you want from a coach. I mean, there's so much politics and stuff that goes into football uh, that if you can have a coach who's going to sit you down, just shoot you straight, I mean, that's all you can ask for. And, and, and when those you know, guys do that, you respect them. So um, I think this team's relying around him. is fun to watch. And, and of course, he's, he's getting it right back. I mean, he's out there. He's their biggest cheerleader on the sideline. Uh, and it's not traditional. It's definitely not what, what, uh, what Lavelle did. It's not what Bronco did. But he's got his own style, and it's working, and it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch as a fan. Yeah.
0: All right, hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for the time, David. Thanks for stopping by, and we'll talk to you again next week. All right, GJ. Take care. David Nixon, he's former BYU linebacker, former NFL guy, and he joins us every week to talk football right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Riley Jensen coming up next, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs football coach Skip Holtz. Tech is a 23-and-a-half-point underdog to BYU. The game's Friday night in Provo. Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech head coach, and he talks about a group. We had to tape this because of his availability as a head coach, and he's going to talk about a group that um, is inexperienced and they're having problems with, and he knows it, and it'll probably get fixed over time, but before it gets fixed, will BYU be able to exploit it? That's coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are brought to you in part by Mark Miller Subaru, bringing you DJ and PK. Time to bring in Riley Jensen, our college football insider, but we are going to make him flap his wings and fly today. Yes, he's going to have to get out of the comfort zone that is college football. How are you, Riley?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Good. What What happened to the other? Sorry, dude. He didn't like our arguments
0: last week. What's going on? Is he all right? Uh, he's got a little personal situation. He's got to take care of it. Not so much gotcha. him. Not so much him. It's thought, his wife. So thought, he's, thought he's thought being maybe, a good husband. I
2: thought, maybe, I thought maybe it was you know uh, you know not mentally tough enough to handle our conversation.
0: You know? <laughs> You're just saying that because he's not here. You know he's like a snarling <laughs> dog that would just bite you by the ankle and not let go. I maybe mean, take a know. chunk I mean, out of your calf.
2: Listen, we had a healthy discussion last week. He's not here this week. I mean, and it was a competition,
0: you know. and he won.
2: I don't know. I don't know if that's true. He's not here today. So I, don't I think plan. he feels
0: like you're in the consolation bracket, and he's advanced to the championship semifinals.
2: <laughs> All I know is his his best ability is
0: availability, and he's not here today. <laughs> Nice. <All right>. Nice. <laughs> hey, as we watch every sport in the world get played at the same time, it's this massive smorgasbord. Is everyone... Can't really make up for the four months of sports that didn't happen, but they're trying to make up for the four four months of sports that didn't happen. So seeing all this stuff, I am curious as a mental performance coach when uh, a team is having a really bad um, postseason run, and especially when it's outside expectations, you know, like the the Twins – you know the headline after their first playoff game—they've lost to 17 straight playoff games. Okay, so you haven't performed well, but only a couple of those are on this group of guys, right? I mean, yes, they got swept in 2006, but so what? But that's part of the 17-game streak. What would you tell them?
2: Who So it's it's really really easy. My 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 personal opinion is that a lot of these streaks that happen, right? So you lose 17 playoff games in a row, you have a you have a hard time against your rival in, in winning a game, all those kind of things. You, what happens is media, your friends, your family, all kinds of people start bringing up the fact that you haven't won 17 games in a row, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it becomes really, really easy to become focused on things that are out of your control. And, look, control the controllables, all that kind of stuff has really, really become kind of a cliche statement. And, and it actually kind of bothers me as a mental performance coach when I hear coaches like, yeah, we just went out there, we controlled the controllables. But that that phrase is important if you know how to do that and if you know what the controllables are. So typically um, the, the, what happens is extrinsic things start taking place that are really, really difficult for people to manage instead of focusing on intrinsically motivated things or things that are within your control. So, you know, controlling your attitude, controlling your effort, and really getting into the present moment of the next pitch, the next play, the next opportunity to succeed is going to be paramount. And that's really hard to do. That's hard to do in any sport on any level, let alone as a professional, when everybody's reminding you that you've lost 17 in a row. So my, my focus or my thoughts would be really focused on the present moment and who you are and what this team can accomplish, and I think I think the best you know I think the best coaches out there are really good mental performance coaches. I think they understand that, and I think I think a lot of them do a really good job. But it's tough when you're in organizations that are trying to pull out of that because you give power to what you focus on, right? We give power to what we focus on. If you go out every day, DJ, and you focus on all the ugly and all the terrible things that are happening in your life, if you'll start to frame your life as ugly and terrible go out and you focus on the good and the things that are going well and the things that you do well, you'll focus on those things and and you'll find yourself more successful and more happy about the things that are going on.
0: Why do the Denver Nuggets come back from a pair of 3-1 deficits when that very rarely happens in NBA playoff history? It happens, but there's like a dozen examples over 60 or 70 years, whatever it is. And why do they fall behind three-one in three straight series? Shouldn't one series have been two-two? What are they doing down three-one? How how does that happen? How much do they think themselves in and out of those situations?
2: Well, I, I think the Denver Nuggets are, are an interesting, are, were a really interesting study during the playoffs because they were they were phenomenal at times and they were really bad at times. I mean, there was was it, was it two blowout losses to the Jazz. Um, I think they benefited personally from a little bit of a, a, a refocus moment, an ability to like recalibrate when there was a little bit more time, when <clears throat> there was a threat, and there was a possibility that maybe they weren't going to play, play anymore. Because I think the coaches and the players were able to just kind of to gather themselves and look at it again. Now I don't know all the reasons that you know maybe they get down three to one maybe it was matchups maybe it was some different things that happened as far as coaching goes but it takes an incredible amount of staying in the moment staying in the moment to be able to come back and not think like okay I gotta get I gotta get um, three games back tonight right you just need to get the game back tonight and you really just need to execute very highly on this play right here and so that becomes. So important to their their progress. Now, getting down in the next matchup, I, I think what happens with some players or with some teams even is that they become they they realize or they don't realize that they're slow starters because they're kind of feeling their way into the situation. And, and sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes you're gonna have a championship team that doesn't necessarily dominate four to zero and everything because. They kind of let the game come to them, and they kind of let the, the answers reveal themselves. And then as they start to get a feel for what's going on, they're able to, to make changes. Certainly playing against, with your back against the wall sometimes also can contribute to teams like really pulling together because they feel like, look, it's either up to us or it's up to no one. So inside of the locker room, the 3-1, there's there's some things that are hard for me to answer that question. It kind of depends, and I don't mean to, to cop out on that. But I think some of the things that I've touched on are maybe some of the things that, that they are going through. But I, I'll say this about the Denver Nuggets. That team has an extreme amount of moxies. And um, their, their ability to play when they're down is very, very impressive. And I think they're going to be tough to deal with because if they keep the core of this together, that's going to be tough to deal with because they know they can come back from literally any
0: position. Our college football insider, Riley Jensen, join us. Alright, let's get into your college football wheelhouse. Uh, you were a high school football assistant coach, offensive coordinator at multiple schools. You're a former quarterback at Utah State, so you probably watch these games a little different than us. What we have all seen is BYU just crush two consecutive <laughs> opponents. Now, Maybe they're just going to roll through the season and crush everybody. We don't even know who they're going to play, right? I think Boise State's going to be on the schedule, but I can't guarantee it. Um, maybe Houston will be pretty good. They haven't played a game yet. They're coming off their first losing season in like seven years. So I don't know how back they are. Uh, so there's some question marks out there. But when BYU plays a difficult game, when BYU gets, you know, gets behind or gets beaten, where are people going to be attacking them on either side of the ball? Where do, you, where do you see a weakness that a really good team could exploit, or maybe an area that at least isn't as strong? What you know, Where can this BYU team be challenged when they are eventually challenged?
2: Well, I, 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 I will say this about BYU right now. I think this is a very well-balanced team. I think they've been playing really well defensively. I think they've been playing well um, offensively. I thought the performance by Zach Wilson on uh, Saturday night was, was really impressive and kind of back to some of the flashes of brilliance that he showed in his freshman year. I like the consistency that's going on with this team, and I think there's an opportunity for this team to really win every game and win it quite convincingly. Like you said, we don't know all the games that are going to be on this schedule, but I think we, ha- we have a pretty good idea that BYU is a good team. If I was attacking BYU – I think the thing, one of the things that you have to do right now, and, and, and I think there's going to be some teams that can do this, is number one, keep the offense off the field by running the ball. And I think, um, you know, Tonga is a very, very difficult situation for a lot of teams, but there are teams out there that have great centers and great schemes that kind of can control him and make it so he's not so disruptive in the run game. And then we'll see if BYU can make all these plays with their linebackers. Now, I do think their linebackers are good. This isn't, I mean, I, I, I think to beat BYU is going to be a, a, a tough thing to do this year. But if I was trying to do it, I would control, uh, I, I, you have to control the line of scrimmage. And their offensive and defensive line has shown to be really stout this year. But I would try and control it with a short passing game, mixing in the runs, keeping BYU's offense off the field. And then you've got to get some turnovers and some pressure on Zach Wilson. You've got, to, you've got to cause them to make a few mistakes here and there. And then once you're ahead in that game, turn them into a passing-only team. Then you can pin your ears back and you, and you can really come after them and see, see how good they are if, if, they, if the other team knows that they're passing on every down. Right now they've really been able to establish the run game and establish the play-action game. If you can take that away from them, I'm interested to see what BYU does. It doesn't mean BYU can't do it. I mean, Zach Wilson is showing you know, extreme levels of accuracy and understanding of the offense this year and the ability to do that. But that's what I would try to do. I would try to, to ball control the offense with short passes and a good running game and keep BYU's offense off the field and then somehow, some way, you've got to get turnovers early in the game and then I would just like to see what BYU looks like facing some adversity, maybe being down two touchdowns. I mean, if you can start fast on BYU, let's see what they're, let's see what they're made of if I, was, if I was coaching against them. But I, look, the reason why BYU is playing so well is because of their offensive and defensive lines. And until somebody comes in and shows that they're better offensive and defensive line-wise, it's going to be tough to beat BYU because they're winning in the trenches.
0: Riley Jensen, our College Football Insider, joining us. Uh, so we know the Mountain West Conference is coming back, and it's now less than a month until they come back. What do you know slash suspect about your Aggies and where you might slot them in in the Mountain West Conference?
2: Boy, it's hard to, it's hard to tell right now, right? Um, there's, there's so many variables to, you know, Pac-12 teams, Mountain West Conference teams, how well they've been preparing, how – how they've been able to stay mentally focused in the off season. I think the biggest question mark for Utah State right now is what is it gonna look like at the quarterback position in a new system for whoever they go with? I mean Shelley has shown that he can win Pac twelve games as a game manager, right? And I think the University of Utah football program is good enough to win games with a, with a with a man with a game manager. Is Utah State that program? I, I don't know yet. Um, you know it's interesting because as an Aggie fan, you you start to watch the Aggies and you you kind of complain about a seven and six team last year, and that's that was a really good season in my era. <laughs> I mean we we went six and six my junior year and went to the humanitarian bowl. And you would have thought that we'd turn the whole program around, and now seven and six, the expectations are different, and I think that's a healthy thing for Utah State. I think uh, Gary Anderson alluded to the fact that he would have rather seven games instead of eight because they're going to be playing them all in a row. I think that speaks to depth. I'd be interested to see what the depth is for Utah State, um, and I think we'll find out fairly quickly in the first two games what their depth looks like. But without seeing them on the field, it's hard for me to make a prediction on on where they're going to be other than I have high expectations for the Utah State program, and I and I really expect – Gary Anderson and his staff to do well because because they're great coaches.
0: Any sense on how the Pac-12 is going to shake out, or is that really a big old question mark?
2: Boy, I, I, it's just so it's just so hard. I, I, and I don't mean to. I, I'm really not trying to like punt the ball here, uh, metaphorically. It's really really hard. I, I would assume that maybe the California teams are going to be a little bit behind some of the other teams that are in the conference just because of restrictions in the state. And maybe Oregon and Washington teams on, on the West Coast, maybe maybe Colorado, the Arizona teams, and, and Utah have a little bit of an advantage because of that. But I really feel like all these teams will come together. It's going to be It's going to be a question of how fast they can come together after having not been able to practice in the format, I mean, one of the things that's really tough for coaches that I don't think people completely understand right now is that the people who are making decisions and deciding like what kind of format you can practice in, they don't understand football. They don't understand how a football practice works, and so when you put when you put limitations on a team and you say, okay. So only 11 people can be on the field at any one time together. Well, you can't even practice. You can't even like really, you might as well, you might as well just go and lift that day. I mean, the frustration for coaches is, is at a paramount in different places because they really haven't been able to practice. And and when Ken Niamatololo was talking about the fact that he wasn't able to practice, um, he, he's not kidding. Right. And it's, it's i i'll tell you this my hat goes out or, or my my uh my appreciation has really gone up for these coaches because it's so difficult to practice when not only are the rules kind of you know and, and everybody's trying to be safe so that's not the question the question is how do i practice effectively and still put a winning team on the field and then the other thing that coaches are are struggling with is and I know that this is true on the high school level here in the state, and I know this is true on the college level. You'll lose a guy on Thursday night. You play Friday. You practiced all week with that guy. And then he's gone. He's got COVID. And contact tracing has forced you to lose four other guys that have been practicing all week. You weren't even able to get the guys reps that are going to play in the game, and then you got to play a game the next day or in two days. It's almost impossible to prepare for. And so these guys, these guys are doing a phenomenal job of coaching that are winning games in this COVID environment. I, don't, I do not envy coaches right now at all.
0: I would say the one thing to advise to all coaches, and you're right about the limitations different teams are facing. Um, I've had a couple people tell me that Fresno State has had major limitations, almost the level Stanford with sending everybody home. And so when you're trying to figure out how many games a school is going to win, first off, what are the Mountain West and Pac-12 schedules going to look like? You know, Who do you play and who do you miss? And then you can't just know the talent and the history and the tradition like we do in a normal year. We've got to know who's been practicing to what level, who's been meeting to what level, and you got to try and factor all that in. But one thing I would tell all these coaches is move everything outdoors. Team meals need to be outdoors set up tables outdoors. Notre Dame has all these positives, and they traced them back to the meal. Now, I'm not sure how they traced them back to a team meal, but I would assume that a school like Notre Dame has seating charts for where guys eat, and maybe guys were sitting around a couple of tables are the ones who tested positive. You know, there would be ways, possibly, to know. But I'd be moving everything outdoors. Outdoors is safer than indoors. To your point about the practices, I don't think the practices are where the problems are. It's Going over to guys' uh, apartments for movies or for a gambling night. It's a team meal indoors. It's traveling on buses and planes. The teams that charter to me have a major advantage at a school over the teams that fly commercial. You know? And so it's those moments that you need to manage that I, you never eliminate all the risk. It's not going to happen, but you can bring the risk way down.
2: Well, I, I think you're exactly right. I think going outside has been key for a lot of the teams right now. Um, I think as you move into October and November in some of the states, it's going it to be harder. really, really difficult. Yeah. It gets right? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of coaches have done that. I know just from being around the Weber State program as much as I am, I'm, almost everything is outside, right? And that's what they're doing to try and avoid a lot of this. But I think you're right. It's very, very hard. It's very hard to control. I mean – this is this is the plight of a college football coach, right? Your your livelihood depends on eighteen to twenty three year olds, sometimes yeah, eighteen yeah. to twenty four year olds, right? And and being able to talk to them in in no uncertain terms that you know getting together for a, a gambling night could be detrimental to the team, right? Yeah. And I'm not I'm not being critical of Zach Wilson and his teammates for doing that. I'm just saying, like, you have to use some diligent right now as players and as a person who wants to perform at a high level and have a chance to play on the next level and so if the message isn't shared correctly it's difficult um, to manage those guys when they're in their free time right it's just it's just really really difficult
0: yeah I've even read about some coaches moving weights outside, which I think the bigger and fancier weight room is, the harder that becomes, right? I think that's where, like, a Division two program is kind of like, well, we're just in a shed with roll-up doors. You're like, well, that's actually an advantage right now, <laughs> as opposed to have some glassed-in $2 million room, you know, that looks awesome, but how do you move everything outdoors? Oh, we just rolled up the garage door. <laughs> wow. Wow. Trust
2: me. Uh, when when a Division one team feels like that's an urgent thing, it doesn't take long to get a whole football team and move a whole weight room out. Right? Back. Yeah. Right. If you're <laughs> if you're
0: properly motivated, you can get it. You can get yeah. a lot of stuff done. Yeah. So, I've,
2: I've seen as Weaver State was building its new North End Zone facility, uh-huh. it was amazing how many places that weight room moved and how quickly it happened. <laughs> to the whole football team <laughs> helping. That was that was incredible to me. In fact, awesome. they became their CrossFit workouts, right? Yeah. In some ways. Like, okay, you got to move this a mile down the street. <laughs> okay. And keep a 45-pound weight above your head as you're walking, you know?
0: <laughs> so. Right. Today, we're moving the weight room to the D Event Center. Tomorrow, exactly. we're moving it back. People exactly. living in that neighborhood. I don't know if you know the way Weaver State's laid out, but if you're living in the neighborhood, you're like, what is going on?
2: <laughs> uh, they're like, this is what it takes to win Division One football games. That's what
0: it takes. So. Jay, Jay's up there with coaches and they're in the media actually laughing amidst all the stress, right? They're like, I never thought moving the weight room to the D-Event Center it was going to be a difference maker, but I'm liking it.
2: Uh, yeah, hey, hey, listen, half uh, to me, half of conditioning and weightlifting is all about mental toughness anyway. So it's about like... Do you think in your head in the fourth quarter that you worked harder than the other teams? Yeah, part of it is just mental toughness. You know right?
0: who sold that really hard was Urban Meyer, and I'd never heard it sold before. But my gosh, he sold that nonstop. It's like, all right, I got it already. Quit telling me. But he didn't care about me. It was about it was about pushing that to the front of a twenty two year old's brain. You know, and so oh yeah, if he wears he out he the media in the, media and the PR. process, so what? <laughs>
2: he used the media and he used everybody else to to push. His narrative, probably better than any coach I've ever seen. No, Pretty the, incredible how he was able to do that.
0: The best coach is coached through the media. I completely I believe remember,
2: that. Yeah. I remember him calling out wide receivers on your show Yeah. live, like, by name. And
0: I was like, whoa. <laughs> whoa. Whoa,
2: that I know. was brutal. You know? but it's, it's, I guarantee you that guy heard about it yep, within it's, minutes. It's you know?
0: cycling back through friends, through family, through roommates. Yep. It's, it's just constantly coaching. Even when he's not around them, he's coaching them. So, exactly. All right, Riley, exactly. we appreciate it. Hey, thanks for a few minutes. Uh, I love it. I love coming on. Thanks for having me. Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech Bulldogs football coach, is coming up in about uh, 15 minutes right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're brought to you in part by Zero Res Carpet Cleaning. It's been proven in lab tests to remove more dirt and soils than any other, any other method. Their powered water cleaning means no soap, no shampoos, and no toxic chemicals. Schedule your 0 cleaning today by calling them at 801-288-9376. Question of the day, who are you rooting for in the NBA Finals? It starts tonight, Game 1, the Heat and the Lakers. You got the Heat who are a fifth seed. I can't help but think this has something to do with the funky format, the bubble, no travel, no home crowds, no road crowds. Last time we saw a team as a five seed or lower make it the NBA Finals, it was the Knicks as an eight seed. Now I will grant you that 1999 was probably a more bizarro year than this. It was a 50 game schedule, and they were playing three games in three nights. there was a Labor issues, and so all of October, November, December, and a big chunk of January didn't happen, and then they just wedged in 50 games and flew into the playoffs. And the eight-seeded Knicks got there. They're only four games over five hundred, twenty seven 27 and 23. But the Heat, is a five seed, you had to play three teams that are seated higher than you. Now, the 4-5, there's rarely a big difference in that matchup. We've seen the Jazz win as a five a couple times. We've seen them lose as a five a couple times. They lost to Game 7 this year as a, five, as a six playing a three. Um, they were a five when they beat Oklahoma City, and they were a five when they beat the Clippers in a Game 7 on the road. So uh, the, the Oklahoma City was a six-game series. So for the Heat to beat the Pacers, they're only a game behind. That's not a big deal. That was a coin flip of a series anyway. But for them to take down the Bucks and the Celtics, granted flawed teams for different reasons, but still for them to take them both down, it's pretty unusual. Teams don't usually pull up back-to-back upsets in the playoffs. You might win one as a lower seed. Usually four or five teams a year do. But you don't usually do it twice. Now, the Heat going to do it a third time, I wouldn't think so. Who are you rooting for? And P.K. and I were discussing this earlier. I said 5% of our listeners are, are L.A. transplants, lifelong Laker fans, or they've loved LeBron wherever he was just because, you know, people fall in love with great players. And from Cleveland to Miami, back to Cleveland, you know, he's a great player. Right now we're sitting on 7% of you are rooting for the NBA Finals, are rooting for the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Yak, remember when I said 5? It peaked at 10. It's back to 7. The pulse of the people, Yak. The Pulse of the People. We're at about 600 votes right now. The Heat are getting 40% of the vote. 11% of you are like me. I'm watching, not rooting. It's the NBA Finals. I watch. I watch the World Series. I watch the Super Bowl. I watch the Masters. I watch the U.S. Open. Is what I do. It's a big event. I watch it. Uh, 41% of you have checked out, and that'll break into two groups. Some of you always check out because the Jazz aren't involved. Uh, and some of you have checked out because of the politics. You found it too much. You don't want to deal with it. You don't like it. And you're done. Um, You know, I don't think that's going to change either. I think that, you know, it's kind of the line in the sand has been drawn. I don't think the players, I don't think it's going to change much over the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to change much for the folks in the public who don't like it. It just, I think it's a cliche, and I don't like it, but it gets used because sometimes it just fits. It is what it is, you know? You feel one way, somebody else feels another way. It just, it is what it is. But of the people watching, 40% for the Heat, 7% for the Lakers. DJ and PK, coming up next, Skip Holtz, Louisiana Tech Bulldog football coach. He's trying to rebuild one segment of his team, and when he tells you what it is and why it is, and then you think about BYU, it's going to occur to you, you know, BYU ought to be favored by 20 to 25 points. Skip Holtz, coming up next. Like his dad, he's a talker. He's welcome on the show anytime. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.